Sales Tuners, Episode 122, Anthony Monroy, Named Account Executive at Serious Decisions. When you allow your prospects to tell their stories without interrupting them, you're typically able to uncover a lot more versus if you jump in at the first sign of, of pain. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from J.J. Watt, who said success is a lease and the rent is due every day. Today, I'm joined by Anthony Monroy, named account executive at Serious Decisions, where he provides research and best practices for B2B firms in an attempt to align high-performance strategy and execution. Their team of analysts continuously develop three core capabilities around benchmarking data, best practices, and operational frameworks. He's a father of three, a big fan of the artwork by Salvador Dali, and uses his own body as a canvas sporting eight tattoos ranging from a Celtic cross to a family tree bearing the name of his children. All right, make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 122. But now let's get to the conversation where Anthony talks about his President's Club trip to Bali. Our co-founders actually for every President's Club, they try to take us to a unique spot in the world that they've never been to. Uh, Bali was this past year and I had the opportunity to not only feed an elephant, but also watch the elephant as well. So it was definitely a life altering experience. And I think having the ability to be in front of these large, majestic creatures where when I first approached it, I was a little hesitant, a little scared. Should I be doing this? But they're definitely gentle creatures. And it was uh, it, it was great to be part of that. Having just come out of the Serengeti on a safari and being able to see elephants, you know, as close. Tell me, Anthony, about the bar uh, that is set for President's Club. What's that for you guys at Serious Decision? How do you qualify for it? We have a yearly quota that we have to attain. And for us, luckily, our co-founders, they don't limit the amount of sales reps that are able to go to that trip. So anyone that does hit that yearly quota, you do qualify for, uh, for those trips. You're literally selling research. How do you uh, how, how do you structure that, right? Like, um, there, no one no one needs that, right? They may want it, but they they don't need it. Like, how do you structure and package that? I'm I'm just very curious. I think being prepared is number one. Understanding your prospects industry, understanding their persona, and understanding what they're working on the immediate need. We're not selling software, so having that non-intangible product always presents a greater challenge. So you have to understand what their emphasis on, what their areas of focus on in the immediate and long term as well without having that tangible product to show them. I know you do a lot of research yourself, right? I mean, if you're selling research, you have to know, as you said, who your your audience is. But how do you how do you even prospect into that? Is right? It's like, hey, I got this research. Are you interested? Like, do you want to learn more? Do you want to see what we've been figuring out? Like, how do you open up those doors? I place a heavy emphasis around social selling. 
I've been a big advocate of that within my organization. Thanks to support from our great marketing team, they they emphasize that and support the sales team for that. But I think understanding my persona, understanding what their likes are, common connections on LinkedIn, common groups around that, and helping to understand where their areas of focus on. If I see a specific persona, perhaps a CMO, posting on LinkedIn around digital transformation or account-based marketing, that'll give me an idea of where I should be targeting my reach outs around that. If I see the organization recently made an acquisition, perhaps I'll tailor my messaging around that. I think for me, I try to talk less about my product and my organization and more around their focus and their organization. I always start my messaging as a simple introduction and just letting them know what I've heard around their organization. If a company, for instance, is going through account-based marketing or they just made that acquisition, I know that's going to be top of mind for them. And if they have no idea who my organization is, they have no reason to take that call or to take that meeting. So I have to give them a reason around that. And I think the first half of my messaging is always around what their focus is on, whether it's that account-based marketing or acquisition or anything else, standing up the marketing organization, for instance. And are you doing the outreach on LinkedIn, on Twitter, via phone, email? Give me an idea. Yeah. So I'm a big, I'm a big cold caller, uh, big Jeb Blount fan, actually. And I always believe that cold calling is certainly not dead. I think that's still the best way to get to your prospects, especially at the executive level. Uh, I use a lot of strategic emailing as well. We have a top 100 focus here. So we try to uh, curtail those emails as detailed as possible around those specific personas. And yes, uh, LinkedIn and social media tweeting is a big one as well and following some of the patterns that they're, they're going through via those channels. I'm not going to lie. You are probably the first advocate of social media or social selling, I'm sorry, that has told me that they are a big cold caller. So kudos to you. Uh, also a big Jeb Blunt fan. He's been on the show. I uh, completely agree with that. We've, we've got to be making those phone calls because there's no better way to have that immediate feedback, right? Than by picking up the phone and talking to your prospects live. So again, kudos to you that. And then give me an idea of, of what a, a typical day would be like for you. If I'm walking in on a Monday morning, I like to define what my what my week looks like. So I start by combing through my top 100 accounts. I like to run a Google keyword search to ensure that I'm capturing any recent news around my target companies. I then like to plan out my call blocks, email blocks, and social media blocks, and just place them on my calendar. I, I try to stick to my calendar, and if it's on my calendar, I have to do it. Uh, I ensure that I'm doing a few things in any given day or week. And that's hitting my activity metrics, going back to that cold calling, emails and social media touches, and then nurturing my pipeline. I think that's a big one with the type of sell that we do here, my organization, defining where I can create new pipeline opportunities and making sure that I have a pipeline with the right quantity and quality of opportunities to hit that quota so I can go to that next trip. You mentioned, you know, uh, coming through your, your top 100 prospects and doing the Google uh, searches. Love all that. But I can't imagine you can hit all 100 every day or even maybe every week. So how do you balance or, or figure out which ones to focus on in a given time? 
So two twofold to that question. I think the first one is within that top 100, we further define it into a top 30. So I'll alternate 30 accounts every few months and have a stronger focus on those top 30. We also have a great sales associate team that helps support us. So the 30 accounts that I'm working on, I'll strictly focus on those and I'll alternate with my sales associate to go back and forth to ensure that we're not hitting the same accounts and to spread the the work attributed to those accounts. And when you are doing the Google searches for, for news, tell me, give me an idea, like what kind of news you're looking for and then how you're using it, right? Like, are you immediately taking that news and going out and crafting your message or are you kind of storing it? Give, give me an idea. I think there's two types of searches that, that I prefer to do. Number one, I'll do a search on a specific company. And secondly, I'll do a search specifically around an industry. An example around that is the territory that I cover is the Midwest. And within that territory, there are a lot of advanced manufacturing companies. And for me, it's understanding not only what that specific organization is working on, but what is the industry looking on right now? Is there a commonality? Is there a common trend that I can approach these prospects and saying, hey, we're seeing this in your industry right now. Is this something that you're focused on? I, I love that. I, I think more people need to, one, listen to what you just said, but then execute it. And what I mean by that is, right, like anytime you get a sale of any kind, start thinking about who are three, four, five other companies that share a very similar profile or have very similar problems to what I just sold. And then literally reach out to them at that point saying, hey, I've just started working with a company in your space. And here's what I heard them say. Now, I have no idea if you're having that issue, knowing that they have that issue as well, and just kind of opening up doors that way. So I love to see that you're following that those trends and then reaching out to those companies like that. Absolutely. You had a post uh, on on LinkedIn, Anthony, where you talked about customer first social selling. I'm not sure if you coined that phrase or not, but tell me more about what that what that means. I did coin that phrase, and and for me, it's again, it, it goes back to my passion around social selling, and that's really how I open up any engagement with a prospect or or a potential opportunity. Uh, so it is uh, customer first social selling. And essentially what this is, Jim, it's a targeted and strategic means of adding value, but not forgetting that personalized and human approach of the process. So rather than trying to sell my product or service, I'm invested in learning about my prospects' personal goals and aspirations. That's where that process starts for me. So for instance, an example would be if I'm chatting with a director of marketing that has been with the organization for over a year. I like to ask that director of marketing, aspirationally, where do you see yourself in the next two to three years? Do you see yourself having that CMO seat? And I think a lot of times it does a few things. Number one, it'll catch them off guard because I'm not trying to sell my prospect or service to them. And secondly, it's, it's opening it up from a, from a human perspective and trying to relate to that, to that director of marketing and understanding and really caring about what that future looks like for them. Do you ever see them push back on that notion or say, hey, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about or, or anything like that? Yes, you do. You will get it. it just it happens. Uh, it will happen. But I have to say, for the most part, I have not seen too much pushback around that. You will have that individual that I have limited time. This is what we came to talk about. And you definitely accept that. But I think strategically, you can wind that in at later date, at later conversation. I think 
the goal around that customer first social selling isn't to necessarily advance a deal or move it through a sales cycle, but to build that personal touch. So it may not necessarily be talking about what your role looks like moving down the road. It could be uh, something else around their personal roles at the organization. Yeah, something you've also said, Anthony, is that you know you you will obviously surround yourself with with as many great people as you can, but you also ask a lot of questions of the leaders in your own organization to understand what what their challenges are. Can you talk more about that? Just understanding what they're focused in on, what are they looking at? So I couldn't speak to our co-founders. I can speak to analysts within our organization. And the great part about the analysts that do work at our organization, they're all seasoned former past practitioners, minimum 20 years of experience. So these are all individuals that have done it. They're chatting with 15 to 20 different types of the personas that I'm trying to sell to every week. So I love just to pick their brains and get an idea for, hey, you know, what are you hearing from your software clients or what are you hearing from your IT clients this week? And I will take that and form it into messaging. What do you think in a company where, which I love that you don't limit the amount of people that can go on the President's Club, right? So if you hit quota, you get to go on the trip. Uh, what do you think those separates you from the other salespeople? I think it's it's trying to stay even keeled. I think that's, that's the big thing for, for our sales cycle. It could be as quick as 30 days or it could be 11 months. But I try to maintain a consistent approach. So having a work-life balance is key for me, ensuring that I'm doing the things that make me happy despite those long hours. So if I want to go to the gym in the morning, if I'm spending time with my family on weekends and turning off the work aspect of it, making sure you're having that balance and not burning yourself out. Yeah, not burning yourself out. I was just having a text message conversation with a buddy this morning who who uh, he recently had a stroke. I'm not obviously going to say who his name is, but that that idea of just working all the time and never disengaging to to focus on what truly matters in your case, family, you know, th- things like that. It's just so critically important. I want to talk, Anthony, about how you break down deals. You told me in a previous conversation that you uh, break down the lessons that you learned, and you, you kind of like gave the analogy of, of baseball players and, and how you know they get paid millions of dollars to fail. But how do you specifically break down your losses or your lost deals? The first thing I like to do is give my sit down with my manager, give him my perspective, my three points around why I feel I lost a deal. I then love to hear his interpretation around the feedback that I gave him. And I ask him for his three points around why I lost the deal. And we'll have that collaborative conversation around whether our three points matched or our three points were quite different. And I think what I've seen is a lot of times, maybe two out of three will be the same, but that third point will be the differentiator around where most likely I lost a deal, whether it's something that he saw I missed or vice versa. I think, you know, this, this next question I have is it's kind of overarching to everything that we've talked about, Anthony, but it's something that more than just me have been impressed with. A lot of people have been impressed with your ability to truly build an incredible executive network via social, right? And, and you've talked about how you do the research and how you make it personalized and all that. But what would you uh, accredit that executive network you've been built to? I think it goes back to, again, that personal touch and knowing those prospects and not just trying to pitch them. I think when you have that conversation with that president, CEO, or COO, 
they know you're trying to sell them. I think for me, it's just trying to build value. I like to use the the term that you have to be a CEO of your region or the target accounts that you're selling to versus just trying to be that salesperson. So I take social to a different level. I travel quite a bit to my territories. I like to get in front of my clients and just shake their hands and just meet them and have that respect factor before we even talk business. I immerse myself in terms of what my specific region is doing. If they're having a festival, I like to mention that. So I think being part of that is is a big part of it as well. And I love hearing feedback from my clients and prospects where they assume I actually live in that territory where I actually live across the country. But it, I take pride in that, knowing that I'm respecting where they're from and what they're focused on. Yeah, I, I can just tell how authentic that feels as well. And, and you're right. They kind of do get confused thinking that you live where they do. Uh, I also used to, uh, you know, my territory used to be the Midwest when I was uh, actively selling uh, for other companies. And, you know, I had the, I had subscriptions to the business journals in each of those big cities. Uh, I, I knew all the membership organizations that my, my prospects were in and I was an active uh, part of those. And same thing, right? Like I knew about the breakfast that was coming up next Thursday and I can mention it in outreach and all of a sudden it just makes things seem like, hey, this this guy actually knows what he's talking about. So I, I love that. Switching topics real quickly, Anthony, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you face today? I think the biggest challenge and maybe one of the most frustrating parts of my job is having to sell a non-tangible product. This, this, But it's also the most rewarding part of my job, if that makes sense. And, I, and I'll explain a little bit more. So this means for me, I have to work twice as hard to show value to my prospects. But it also means I have to learn more about their businesses, language they're speaking, specific industry trends, anticipate growth initiatives in accordance to their specific roles. And I think the the positive around that, it's enabled me to learn about industries that I knew nothing about before working at the role I'm in right now. I can tell you realistically, three years ago, I knew nothing about the advanced manufacturing space and how they're looking to become more digital and how they're looking to move from a a product-centric view to more of that customer-centric view. So I think the the most frustrating is also the most rewarding part of, of selling the solution and services that I'm selling. I get the feeling you're going to take that old Alex Baldwin line of always be closing and change it to always be learning. Absolutely. You have to be learning every single day. And I think I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by plenty of talented folks around me, and it's uh, nonstop learning here. I appreciate that. Anthony, I'm going to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners. You don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Anthony, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready, Jim. 
What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? So I would say listening. As simple as that sounds, that's a thing that I had the biggest challenge with. And you probably hear it unlike most salespeople, Jim. And the art of listening is a vital tool for me because when you allow your prospects to tell their stories without interrupting them, you're typically able to uncover a lot more versus if you jump in at the first sign of, of pain. And I think there's a few steps that I used to implement that. Know your customer and explain before attempting to deliver value. I think those are the two ones that I focused on. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? If I had the luxury of starting over, what I would do is I would like to surround myself around the industry's brightest and smartest leaders that I've worked with. And I'd almost love to have a learning course around that for 30 days. And I'd like to be able to hear from those leaders their best wins and their worst losses in order for me to grasp and learn from those lessons. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? So winning is great, but I hate to lose. And I feel that's what's fueled my success. To me, most people like to win. It feels good. You get an award, recognition, and life's good. But what drives me and what keeps me up at night and encourages me to stay that extra hour at the office is the notion of not wanting to lose. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? There are a couple I just want to reference here. But the first one is Jeb Blount's Sales EQ. I think every salesperson needs to be reading that one. This has had a strong impact on not only how I approach my prospects in a sales cycle, but also learning about the psychology of selling, how I can use that to build relationships and win more deals. And another one is Jordan Belfort's Way of the Wolf. And a couple of takeaways that I've had around that is the importance of tonality and mirroring your prospect's behavior in order to help become that master closer and master negotiator. So those two have been great for me. Sales Sooners, if you'd like to check out Anthony's suggestion of Sales EQ or The Way of the Wolf for free, head on over to salessooners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salessooners.com slash book. Anthony mentioned he listens to a book every couple of weeks. So you guys got to get on Audible and check this out. Anthony, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Top of my bucket list right now is to meet The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. So I'm a big fan of him, his work ethic, attitude, and story. He actually has, I'll use another quote, that helps drive me to be the best version of myself. And that's one of the most important things you can accomplish is just being yourself. So this mantra has helped me develop those personal relationships on social that I have with my prospects today. Uh, he's very family-oriented, so I, I take and mirror a lot of what he does there as well. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? It's knowing your customers, knowing your buying personas, staying even keeled throughout the sales process and managing those emotions. Uh, as salespeople, we know that sales can be a roller coaster of emotions. So, and then I think also remaining empathetic towards my customers and what they feel. So going back to uh, that customer first social selling, uh, is, is how I choose and how I would uh, go forward with that. 
If you want to connect with Anthony, he's active on both LinkedIn and Twitter, but you might also consider checking out his blog on customer-first social selling. He's been posting a lot of the lessons he's learning while actively engaging with high-level prospects. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, plan your target accounts. Too many sales reps take the shotgun approach when it comes to prospecting. To me, it feels like that's the reason we get so many shitty emails and generic LinkedIn connection requests. Take the time to plan out who you're going to target over the next 90 days. Whether that's 100 accounts or just 30, you'll be able to actually customize your outreach to each person intentionally. Or better, work to find a common connection to make an introduction for you. Number two, role play with your company's executives. Think about who in your company has served in the role of your target buyer. Whether that is by title or just responsibility, they have likely faced the same issues you're trying to sell into. Practicing your cold call or pitch with them could provide great insight that you wouldn't be able to get from a prospect. Number three, gain mutual feedback on losses. You all know how passionate I am about coaching. I mean, it is how I make a living after all, but I can't tell you how important it is to be able to coach yourself first. If you're not willing to take the time to break down a call or a meeting and tell me the top three things you think you did wrong or what could be improved, well, the reality is you're not going to listen to anyone else and what they have to say either. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay